2: It is Locked on Jazz for the 5th of February. A blockbuster deal goes down in the NBA, involves the Nuggets and Rockets. What does it do to the Western Conference? We break that down. Look at the trade deadline as we get to within, oh, another 36 hours before it's over and what is out there, what might happen, plus the Jazz and the Nuggets tonight. We'll break that one down looking back at the past performance and who do the Nuggets still have. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz pow How are you? I'm David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way more fun for you to be a jazz fan every day. The bomb of the Woj Bomb, and actually Sham's Bomb, went off uh, last night late, about 10, 15, 10.30, uh, trade goes down. A four-way deal went down between Denver, Houston, uh, Minnesota, and Atlanta. Uh, I'll try to. I'm gonna really look at Denver and Houston because that's what impacts us now. Atlanta is building a young team, and uh, we'll look as well a little bit at Minnesota. They're trying to just keep Carl Anthony Towns and keep this thing together. Um, and they're early honeymoon of their first year seems to be over already uh, with their disastrous season. So we'll break it down uh, on those things. We'll look at other things that are going on in the trade market. Um, Again, just to put a really big kind of capsule on where the jazz sit, the jazz made their move. We made our move. Jordan Clarkson deal was done on December 23rd. It means the jazz get 50 games with their player instead of 30 uh, which is actually a huge advantage. It's a really smart move. The Jazz have done this two years in a row where they make their move early and get more out of it. And at this point in time, the way I would say it is, I'm sure Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck are on the phone to everyone. I'm sure they're communicating where things are. And they're just sitting back at this point and waiting for a call. The Jazz don't have assets by which they can pick up the phone on the 5th of February, you know, 36 hours before the trade deadline. It's not, you know, we're a little less than that, actually. But anyway, and say, hey, we have this to offer. Can we get that? There, There's just not enough assets in the coffers for the Jazz to be able to make an offer to somebody and have them say yes. What they can do right now is say, hey, we're interested in the following. We'd be, you know, if that's possible, that's something we'd, we'd consider – and then if a team as they hit I think one o'clock is the deadline mountain time, twelve hit twelve thirty, they say, you know you know what, we'll do that deal for a second round pick. We didn't get anything else out there. The Jazz are the fallback for teams, but the Jazz don't have enough right now on the table to pick up the phone, call a team, and say, hey, let's do this, we'll give you that, and they say yes, right? That's not where we are. We had that earlier when we had Dante. We did it on December 23rd and made that deal, but that's not something that the Jazz have right now. So that's where Utah sits in this process. I don't, you know, you look at Noah Vonley. Okay, Noah Vonley moved yesterday, and if you were following that trade and kind of the salaries on it, you knew there had to be a fourth team involved, and so I actually wondered to myself, like, okay, could that fourth team be the Jazz, and are they looking for Noah Vonley as a backup center? He's 6'10", he probably can slide to the 4 if he has to, but not really. He's a 30% three-point shooter, so he doesn't really stretch it. He played 12 minutes in Minnesota, 29 games. He played in New York last year. was terrible. The year before, he's in Chicago. The year before that, he's in Portland. So, like, Noah Vonley, former ninth pick of a draft, is probably one of these, like, backup centers that a lot of people are talking about. But is, like, Noah Vonley really actually any better than Tony Bradley? I mean, he's more experienced. He's a higher pick. But I'm not sure. Like, it doesn't move my meter a great deal uh his defensive rebounding percentage is 25. He's a really good rebounder. So's Tony. Right? So's Tony's a pretty good de- rebounder. Great offensive rebounder, pretty good defensive rebounder. So, he's not a three-point shooter. Vonley's actually a decent passer. I like I actually I would say that me personally, I'm a a Noah Vonley, I like him more than the league has used him. Um and there's so I'm probably wrong. Um, I've always thought he could switch a little defensively. I thought he was a pretty good rebounder. I thought he was a decent passer. I thought if he got it down low and he had to do something, he probably could. But you know what? The fact of the matter, he's been on not very good teams and not played a huge amount. He did start 57 games on a not very good New York team last year. Um, but so I, so again, I've always been the average 8 points, 8 rebounds. So maybe that's like, but you got to ask yourself for the eight or 10 minutes a night in the playoffs, is that that big a difference? And so I guess I'm saying when I looked at it last night, that was a name where I was like, okay, maybe um, if the Jazz fall in on the backside of this deal and help facilitate, they can go find something like that. Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about. And Tony Bradley's young, developing, uh, works butt off, understands the culture, has a great relationship with, uh, with Vince LaGarza, has been working pretty hard has done a lot of really good things for us recently he's a few years younger we have him signed for next year I'm not I just when I looked at him I wasn't I wasn't moved I'll just say that like there's a difference probably um their defensive rebounding rates Tony's better their offensive rebounding rate Tony's way better Tony's a 19% offensive rebounding rate second best in the NBA behind N.S. Kanter Noah Vonley's 9% Noah Vonleh can shoot a three, but at thirty-one percent, if he spaces, is anyone following him? No. Tony's got a better steal rate. He's got a better block rate. Noah Vonleh passes better. Fine. So I just am not moved by that one win share per forty-eight minutes. Tony's better. That's kind of my point. Like we keep, I keep hearing everybody talk about backup centers and this and that and um, and and it, I yeah maybe right, but I think for the ten minutes a night we're talking about in the playoffs, it's a it's a funky it's a funky thing to be looking at and whether it's that big a deal I saw Ben Anderson tweeted out last night about Alex Len Alex Lens one of all I've always thought would be a great backup to um Rudy gobert but at four million that's a lot and you know Alex Len's played a lot in his career he's he was a top pick and um was actually the same draft as 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 Rudy go not as, as Rudy gobert. They've always had a little bit of a, and he, he's nice. Like, I kind of, I actually agree with, uh, and he might be available as they now are making their moves, but that's, I don't know how you're getting that deal done. He's a $5 million contract or $4 million contract. You tra- you have to move, I mean, it's obvious. You can look at the numbers. You look at Ed. I, is he that much better? Like, his his shooting percentage this year is 49%. He shoots th- he's shooting a, l- a lot of threes, taking 285 threes. So he really stretches it, except he shoots 33%. Is anyone following him out there? Tony Bradley's offensive rebounding rate again is 19%. His is 10. I might take Tony's. Defensive rebounding rate, Tony's 22, Alex 70. There's an argument for both. I mean, Alex Len's a nice player. Um, I as I said, I kind of like Alex Len. Tony, frankly, scores more per 36 minutes, rebounds more per 36 minutes on the counting stats. Uh, defensive wise, I, you know, I'm not sure uh who's actually better. So anyway, it's just I think you got what I'm saying is that. The discrepancy we're talking about here between Tony Bradley and all the backup centers we're talking about, to me, seems pretty minimal, and we're probably talking 10 minutes a night in the playoffs. All right, let's break down the big deal and see what it means for Houston and what it means for Denver uh, and the rest. Today's show is brought to you by the store, 6200 South, 20th East. Jeff emailed me yesterday, or texted me yesterday, Jeff from the store, that he actually had in his a chocolate mudslide Loch Ness Monster ice cream sandwich. Okay, that is the most decadent, awesome thing ever. He's like, an extra hour on the Peloton. I was like, of course, but we're all going to die, so you'd rather die eating ice cream sandwiches instead. He said, exactly. That was our text. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it. It looked incredible. The really amazing thing is that he was actually eating it in a car, which I give him great credit for, knowing he's not going to spill. The store is located 6200 South. It's at 20th East. That's uh, the... There also is the new one downtown at the Gateway. Those are the two locations for the store. I love the Mudslide Cookie. They make four-game losing streaks feel a lot better. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster Ice Cream is out there as is. The Mudslide Ice Cream, both made by Leatherbees. And that's kind of the signature of what the store is all about. It's your local products, your local people providing your, and then all the basic needs. I Meet mean, Jeff and Scott. Uh, lead the way along with Amy they take great pride in the products they have there whether it's a local kombucha whether it's a cold brew uh, nitro cold brew from a local uh, roaster that they put on tap whether it's a meat companies that they go find whether it's the brisket place out of Logan they search and find our local places give you the best products they can they serve you Utah zone, and they give you a great community feel the store is 600 south 20th east when you walk in go to the right hand side the mudslide cookies will be right there for you and down at the gateway when you walk in they've got all the goodies Right in front of you, then in the back, they got the hot stove for your lunches and the grocery store in the back feels like a really good, fun, urban grocery store. That's the store 600 South 20 of the East. also located in the gateway right across from the Children's Museum.
0: Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking
2: Promotion to win you NBA tickets to an upcoming game by picking the Woj bomb is not over, even though a deal has gone down because nobody got that one. No surprise. There's 12 players involved, so make sure you go to Locked On NBA Net on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and enter in your for your chance to win. Uh, tickets to an NBA game to see your favorite NBA team in their home arena. All you have to do is tag five friends on the Instagram account and put in what you or your Twitter or Facebook and say what you think your trade is going to be. If you get the Woj bomb before it happens, you have a chance to win one winner on all of the th- social networking feeds. That's at Locked On All right, here's what Denver did. Denver traded Malik Beasley and Juan Herman Gomez, both drafted in the same draft glass as Jamal Murray both high hopes Denver's had we've talked about a lot of this show Denver has too many players Uh, they just had too much talent too much young talent Beasley was going to be a free agent at the end of the year he switched his agency over to Rich Paul limited market he was probably going to get paid so Denver decides you know what we're going to get off of him now and get something for him same thing with Juan Herman Gomez Uh, they just didn't have a lot of minutes for him he's had 17 DNPs this year uh, and They haven't been able to use him, and frankly, they've not been very good when Juan Herman Gomez is on the floor, and they haven't been very good when Malik Beasley's on the floor. Both those guys were minus five per 100 possessions, and they're out from under both of them now, and they got a first-round draft pick in exchange. Denver's got a shooting issue. Uh, Maybe it doesn't matter as much because they have Jokic, but Denver does have a shooting issue. They're not a very good three-point shooting team. They're 21st in the league in three-point shooting. They're uh, 27th in attempts, and with their roster as it is now, unless Michael Porter Jr. really continues to stroke it, uh, they lose a little bit in losing Beasley as a three-point shooter. Uh, they don't lose much by losing Juan Herman Gomez. Michael Porter Jr. is the real deal. He's the one's going to take those minutes. Um, they basically also just made a decision that they believe in Gary Harris uh, more than Malik Beasley, or that they couldn't move Gary Harris's contract. It could be either of those two. That's the decision they made there. They added Shabazz Napier. They added Noah Vonley. They added Keita Bates, Jop. Um, I think actually he goes by Diop, not Jop. Uh, Napier, I don't think matters. Monte Morris and Jamal Murray will be their point guards. Vonley, I don't think matters because they have Mason Plumlee and Nikola, Vuk- uh, Nikola Jokic. So I don't think they'll actually use him very much. Um, though, as I just said, I kind of like him. Uh Keita Bates' job they might use a little bit, but really, they if they're healthy, they don't need these guys, and they just got a first-round draft pick. Uh, I was a little surprised they traded Jared Vanderbilt. I know that some people really like him. He's young. He's been injured. He's super athletic. He's kind of like the perfect piece on a really good team to have just hovering back behind. Uh, but the bottom line on Denver is that they had too many players, and, and they just made a move to get a first-round draft pick out of this deal, Houston's first-round pick, in exchange for two players they are probably going to lose for nothing in the offseason. In that capsule, it's a really good deal. It makes total sense. The only question I have on this, and I'd have to understand where their locker room was and some things like that that I don't know by being there every day. The only question I have it on, Juan and Gomez and Malik Beasley are both good. And they're better than the players that they brought in. And so, I got it. Their guard rotation is Jamal Murray and... Monte Morris and their front court rotation is their middle guard rotation is Gary Harris, Will Barton and Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant are their power forwards and Nikola Jokic and Myson Plumley are their centers. And that's a 10 man rotation without even including Michael Porter jr. Who's great. Has a chance to be super and has to play. So, or that's a nine man rotation. Michael Porter jr. Becomes 10. So I've got it. They didn't have time for those guys. And maybe, In their locker room, that was going to be a really big issue, and they've just addressed it by getting a first-round draft pick, and that's really smart, and they weren't going to bring him back. But if for some reason they need somebody in that realm, Malik Beasley's better than the guys that they got, and Juan Herman Gomez might be better than the guys they got. On the other end, you know what? They just traded two players, one who had 17 DNPs, another one who had DNPs is going to have more if they get healthy as the year goes on. As the stretch run for the final 30 games, in exchange, they got a first-round pick. It's pretty good roster management by Tim Conley. So that's my take there. Houston's really interesting. How small can you go is the headline on Houston. But the real headline on Houston is how low can we go to get under the luxury tax? The Utah game has a tremendous impact on this, but I don't think you can get lost in what really happened here. Houston's new ownership from all sorts of reports all around the league is not as deep pocketed as many of the others in the league and actually is leveraged a little bit by the NBA and the luxury tax payments are a problem for them. That type of cash once you got to write a check on one day for the whole thing is a problem for them. So they got $7 million lower on their and under the tax. I think that's the number one issue. Now inside of that the Utah game and you spark something for the Rockets. And I actually knew it before the game. Mike D'Antoni got, if you remember correctly, that day they start, they don't have Russell, they don't have James, they don't have Clint. So they start Eric Gordon and Eddie and and uh, Daniel House and P.J. Tucker and I don't remember who the other two guys were, Austin Rivers and somebody else. can't believe I can't remember, but nonetheless. Uh Four, five wing guys and P- basically with PJ Tucker. Four wing guys and PJ Tucker, and I actually immediately am like, the Jazz are in trouble. I'm talking to Craig Ackerman and Matt Bullard before the game, I'm like this is going to be a really big problem for us for a night. D'Antoni gets asked in that pregame press conference, "You think Tyson Chandler plays tonight?" And he says, "We'll roll this five out, see how it works first before we go do something in that regard." I thought it was really interesting. To me, it was. I think this can work. I think, if I thought Tyson Chandler needed to play, I would start Tyson Chandler. But I actually think we can go with P.J. Tucker as our center, go small, and see what happens. And it worked. And they kept doing it. And D'Antoni said the other day, the biggest thing is Russell. How can we get what he does best and get to the rim? How can we capitalize on that 100%? Sometimes you're afraid to try it. After the Utah game, said Dan Tony. I said, why not? Let's try it, look at it, and see what it looks like. We just have a unique team that's different. Some people might say it's gimmicky or whatnot, but it's not. It's doable. I think we'll get better at it, better defensively. We just have to watch the second chance points. Be sure when you criticize it, you don't say that you got out-rebounded by 25. That's not a stat that even matters. If you say they scored eight more second chance points, then I get it. So let's look at this for a second. He wants to get Russell going. There's actually a way for me to look at this and it's interesting. So, Russell who's had this kind of weird year, he's gotten better recently um and played, you know, and played but he's had the worst offensive year. And so D'Antoni's right. If we Harden, if Houston can get Russell Westbrook going in any way shape or form, they become a force. When Russell Westbrook has been on the floor, Clint Capella, Tyson Chandler, or Hartenstein off the floor, there's nothing big that jumps out. They're 112 offensive rating. They're plus two. It doesn't, it doesn't jump at you. Like, you'd think they have some number. They're just projecting that to be the case. In a case specifically of Russell, it is interesting. He's averaging, he's shooting 54% when he's on the floor without Capella, without Chandler, without Harkinstein. Harden actually is the one who struggles in that lineup. Shoots 33%, 29% from three. They don't do it very often, but 10 minutes a game. So when he's on the floor, Russ without a center, Russ is shooting 54%. The team as a whole has not been very good in that circumstance. Okay? They're shooting 45%, 32% from three. But D'Antoni is exactly right. The Rockets have got to get Russ going. He's the key. They made their bed with him. Harden's Harden. And if Russ can get going, they become an incredible force. They're fascinating. They're playing small. A lot of the numbers you look at with them, they're... Offense with P.J. Tucker at center has been great. And now they have Covington, who's seven foot two, wingspan, 6'9", is going to be able to play the four and roam around and switch with P.J. Tucker. The concern I would have, if I'm the Rockets, is that P.J. Tucker's 34 years old and I think slipping. And they're asking an awful lot out of him. To me, that jumps out as the biggest concern I would have for them. With P.J. Tucker at center, their offensive ratings at 119. Their defensive ratings are 115, 114.5. Their differentials plus 4.5. Their defensive reboundings in the 27th percentile. It's good. It's not unbelievable. It's good. It's probably a little better than they were, but Mike D'Antoni's exactly right. The key to the entire thing is how do we get Russell going? And they believe with a spaced floor they can get Russell going. I can't believe that Clint Capella was hurting Russ, but in some ways, they must see it as even more advantageous to just completely space the floor. Russell Westbrook, with Clint Capella on the floor, shot six percentage points less than he did when he's off the floor. That might be the driving factor, okay? So when Capella was on the floor, Russ shot 42%. .6, 42.6, with Capella off the floor. He shot 49. His three-point shooting's equally bad both ways. It's pretty interesting, at least, to check there. Per 36 minutes, does Russ get to the free throw line? Does he get to the rim more? These are the questions they're asking. Per 36 minutes, Russ shoots one more free throw with Capella off the floor. Then on the floor, he takes two more shots. His shot distribution in those periods of time, we'll see what happens. But they believe they've now opened the floor. They can play faster. They can run. They can get him out. And then the half court, they can play. It's interesting. I don't think it's crazy. Um, I think it's interesting. Russ shoots 50% of his shots at the rim when Capella's off the floor at 65% shooting. It's a pretty big number. When Capella's on the floor... Instead of the sixty-five percent or fifty percent of his shots at the rim, the floor's more. He's rolling the basket. There's a big there. Rudy can stay in the lane. Kind of if you're thinking about it from that standpoint, and so the number came out for Russ to be at thirty-seven percent. It's a pretty big difference. They may be onto something. That's 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 the eye opener they're looking for right there. Westbrook was on the rim 50% of the time when Capella's off the floor. He was on the rim 37% of the time when Capella's on the floor. That's Mike D'Antoni saying, we've got to find a way to get Russ on the rim. Okay? Jazz and the Nuggets, we'll look at that. Today's show is brought to you by Homie. You can buy or sell your home with Homie. They're revolutionizing the way real estate's done, changing the way you view use realtors, the way the money is distributed. Realtors each get 3%, right? That's how it works. So that's 6% of your total. You sell your house and, homie, when you regularly sell your house or or when you buy a home, excuse me, 3% of the money goes to your realtor, 3% goes to theirs. Homie's doing it differently. And they've saved people over 50 million in commissions. Does it work? An academic study from BYU professors showed that Homie is selling homes for more money and eight days faster over the past three years than the traditional manner. And Homie is saving sellers an average of $10,000. Find out more by texting LOCK, L-O-C-K-E, to 88588. That's LOCK to 88588. Yes, I said $10,000 and I said faster according to the BYU Academic Study. So go find out for yourself. Text LOCK to 88588 and find out how Homie can find your dream home, tour homes, make offers, negotiate the deal, and work to get you money back. That's Homie. Text LOCK to 88588.
1: Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. i tried everything, massages, Chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy, has worked better than any of those for me and now the all-new gen 4 theragun has a proprietary brushless motor it's so quiet it's no louder than an electric toothbrush and best of all you can try theragun risk-free for 30 days there's no substitute for the theragun gen 4 with an oled screen personalized theragun app and the quiet and power you need starts at only 199 dollars go to theragun.com locked on the name of this network right now and get your gen 4 theragun today that's theragun dot com slash locked on Theragun slash locked on
2: jazz and the Nuggets last time these two teams played it was a pretty good game until either the Nuggets put their will down on the Jazz on a 27 to 1 run or the Jazz wore out on the back end of a back to back the Nuggets tonight are playing on the back end of a back to back home teams With a rest advantage, win in the NBA. Vegas has the line at eight tonight. Seems really high to me. Um, I asked John Schumann yesterday, the great NBA.com guy, what the record is for home teams with a rest advantage at 62 and 48. The record, uh, Cade, McCade, who's a great Twitter guy, sends me a bunch of stuff. Teams are 79-59, and 59, according to him, when playing at home against a team coming off a second game of a back-to-back. Jazz are 3-3, three and three, according to McCabe. So, what happened last time? Well, the most interesting thing to me in that game, and it's worth keeping an eye on, was that when the Jazz started the game, Rudy Gobert had bothered Jokic. He was not very good in the first half. Then, Jokic was much more aggressive in the second half, and it caused the Jazz a bunch of problems. And that swung the game. Was yoke and, and then a sequence where the Jazz offense went dry and they played transition and hit threes. Overall, it was a very slow game. We played about 94 possessions in that game. Both these teams are half-court teams, actually. If you look at it, the Jazz play the 28th most amount, ranked 28th in uh, transition possessions. And Denver, I believe, ranks 27th. So neither of these teams get out and run Um, A great deal. Denver's entire offense is usually predicated on the offensive rebound. They're 23rd in the league in shooting. They're 25th in the league in getting to the line. They're number two in offensive rebounds. They averaged 27.8%. But against the Jazz, they only got 18% of their offensive rebounds. So the Jazz did a really nice job in that regard. The Jazz actually had more of a bad offensive night than a defensive night. For all the talk of defense, the Denver game was not as bad a defensive game as the Jazz had. In some of the others, Utah got much better shot quality in that game than Denver did, and they actually shot it pretty well. The Jazz shot 17 of 37 from three. They turned it over 16 percent, which is too many, and they didn't offensive rebound. That's our bad combination is we only had five offensive rebounds and we turned it over 16 times. When we do both of those things at the same time, it's really hard for us to win. You have to shoot lights out, and the Jazz did. They shot 57% effective field goal percentage in that game and still did not have a very good offensive game because it's super hard to do both of those two things, uh, to not rebound and to turn it over and to have success. The Jazz took 47% of their shots as threes in that game, which is great. They got in the paint. They only took 7% of their shots as long twos, which is great. So the shot distribution was fabulous. The shooting was fabulous. They just didn't get to the rim. Jordan Clarkson went bananas late to, to rev it up. If you recall, <coughs> Boyan Bogdanovich did not have one of his bet, uh, better numbers games. So he hit six threes. So his his actually effective field goal percentage was great. Um, the Jazz moved the ball. There three hundred five passes in that game, so it wasn't a problem. Like they got stagnant. They just didn't. They turned it over and they didn't get offensive rebounds. I know it sounds so stupid, and I'm just going to keep pounding it, but that's the truth um, on the matter. Defensively um where the jazz the jazz actually handled the pick and roll quite well uh where the jazz had some problems uh Denver's offense just straight drives to the basket in the handoff game the jazz have never been a particularly good handoff defensive team which makes Denver a hard matchup because Denver's running all those handoffs off Jokic. And for whatever reason, we're a much better pick-and-roll team. We're a good isolation defense team. We're a great transition defensive team. We're usually pretty good against the drives. Uh, We did struggle against Denver. We're not a very good team against handoffs. We never have been. I don't quite understand why, Um, but that's a number that's out there. I I see it all the time when I prep. And Denver's one of the few teams that can really take advantage of that with the amount of – but their pick-and-roll really didn't do much of anything Uh, to the Jazz, Uh, what was much better was if Jokic was handing the ball off and doing things. Jazz had a lot of success on the Donovan Mitchell-Rudy Gobert pick and roll against them in that ballgame, so we'll see if they bring uh, that back out. Uh, The interesting matchup, obviously, was Torrey Craig guarded Donovan Mitchell for 46 uh, matchups, and Donovan Mitchell did not score. Uh, When guarded, and then Joe Ingles didn't do much against Will Barton on the other side of things. Uh, So that's worth keeping an eye on. You know, with their... uh, Jamal Murray's back, so how do they match up? Gary Harris is back. How do they match up? Uh, They did just move Malik Beasley, so Torrey Craig has Will Barton's out there. I don't know whether they would start um, Torrey Craig just to match Donovan Mitchell, but he did, in 46 matchups of that game, Donovan Mitchell, uh, he did not score. Torrey Craig came off the bench and played 19 minutes. I mean, it's another one of those weird things... Last night, where or in that kind of these stretch of four games, where the injuries actually allowed the other team to almost have a better matchup. Uh, the interesting one tonight for Denver is Jeremy Grant sprained an ankle last night. Juan Herman Gomez was traded, and Paul Millsap is hurt. So I. And Michael Porter Jr.'s hurt. So I have no idea who their four is going to be. It might be Torrey Craig. And then they cross matchups in a way to get Torrey Craig onto Donovan Mitchell. And then Will Barton's trying to guard Boyan Bogdanovich. We'll see if we can stay in our rhythm and take advantage of it without getting uh, messed up in that regard. So that'll be interesting. They're really short at the power four position. They're also dealing with kind of the emotional aspects of a team that just went through a trade. Jazz are seven and a half point favorites. Need to grab this one tonight. All right. It is a Wednesday. Make sure you go grab Locked on NBA. Uh, for you. Should be a good show today, so tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Podcast Locked On NBA. Have a great
1: day.